lot of it is really personal skills. I think there's a way you need to know how to talk to other people and talk to directors. And, and uh, I think it's really easy to try to push what you want style-wise. But I think what's more important that I'm finding in narrative is it's not really about how I think I want to shoot it. It's about the director's vision and how you help him get to that. So I think being able to, to be open and collaborate with other people is probably really important. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Christian Zuniga is on the show today. Christian is a cinematographer out of Atlanta, Georgia. After talking to a lot of film industry folks at the Sundance Film Festival, I discovered that Atlanta is the new Los Angeles. Lots of television and film being shot there. And if you want to be in the industry, Atlanta is where a lot of the action is. If you check out Christian's commercial work on his website, which I included in the show notes, you'll see that everything he does is cinematic and story-driven. In fact, the commercials he shoots can't really be called a commercial because the imagery and artistic vision in those projects really elevates them beyond that category. He shot a promotional video for Coachella that is akin to a mini-documentary, which is also available on his website. He has shot music videos for Ed Sheeran, featuring Chance the Rapper, Drake, and commercials for Adidas and Procter & Gamble. His latest feature film, which premiered at Sundance this year, is called Beast Beast. Directed by Danny Madden and produced by Alec Baldwin, Beast Beast features some new actors on the scene, including the irrepressible and almost criminally charismatic Shirley Chen. It also features the kinetic Jose Angeles and a surprising performance from an actor named Will Madden, whose character was probably the most layered and complex in the entire film. I had the pleasure of seeing the premiere of Beast Beast at Sundance this year, with the entire cast and crew in attendance, including the producer, Alec Baldwin, the director, Danny Madden, and of course, my guest today on the show, cinematographer Christian Zuniga. IMDb describes Beast Beast as a look at the lives and trauma surrounding three people living in a southern town. I would describe it that way too, but would add that it really does a great job of weaving the lives of these three high school kids together in a beautiful yet extremely disturbing way. You feel like you're watching three trains, all heading for each other on separate tracks, approaching each other at the same intersection. You're so attracted to these characters, rooting for them all in a weird way but you can't help but be on the edge of your seat as these kids make decisions that lead to a dark place. I won't say anything more about the film because I don't want to spoil it for you, but I do recommend seeing it whenever you can. It'll be in theaters or on streaming services soon. So let's jump into my interview with cinematographer Christian Zuniga. Christian Zuniga, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, what brings you to Sundance? Um, I have my first feature in the festival competing under the next category. It's called Beast Beast. I had the pleasure of seeing Beast Beast. Oh, rad. What'd you think? Very well done. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was a lot of fun uh, to see. I got to the, the venue and did not realize that the entire cast would be there and the yeah. producers and Alec Baldwin. I didn't realize that he was producing the movie and that was a nice surprise. So. Yeah, I didn't realize every, well, so many people were going to make it out too. It was, it was awesome. Though. It was kind of like a, a mini reunion, kind of brought back all the feelings of being on set. It was cool. So how did you get involved in that project? Um, I kind of have done a few things with the Atlanta Film Society and they um, 
they got hit up by Vanishing Angle because they were coming into town doing a few features there, and they kind of just tossed my name in the ring and went in for an interview, and I guess I said all the right things and got onto the project. And did you have your your website as your portfolio? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my website was probably a, a having something that they can see definitely helps for sure. Yeah. I, and would, I would say that helped. I, I highly recommend for the listeners to go to uh, com. It's I'll spell it out for you. Um, K-R-I... S-T-I-A-N-Z-U-N-I-G-A.com. It's really impressive, the, uh, the body of work that Christian has on that website. So you interview for this job. Mm-hmm. And did you know what the project was about at that point? Yeah. Um, Danny, the director, had made kind of, uh, I'd call it a treatment, but it's like a bit of a pitch deck too. Um, it kind of breaks down what the story is and how it's supposed to feel style-wise. I didn't read the script yet. Um, I just kind of looked over that. I mean, it seemed really exciting and I had looked up Danny's work and I, you can kind of see what kind of director he'd be like to work with movement wise and just, he's like an animator by trade. And so I felt like he would really, he knows what he wants, you know, cause those guys kind of have to think it all out beforehand. Right. So I was just excited and it was the first feature I would ever been able to do. So I was, I was like, I definitely wanted to do it. I didn't really need a lot of convincing from them. I needed to convince <laughs> them to let me do right. it, you know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, just looking at the career trajectory of folks in the film industry, it seems like shorts are kind of the way to get your foot into the door. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I had done one or one or two outside of school that I was like really happy with, but they weren't really out at the time. And I don't think it was, um, I don't know if they ever actually saw them. I think what they had looked at of my work was like a lot of my earlier doc stuff and music video work with like a they uh, they were looking for someone who could do that kind of style like doc style light quickly and like move the camera around in an in an interesting way well just looking at your commercial work mm-hmm. i mean those are miniature movies yeah i mean they're incredible extent, yeah incredibly cinematic too mm-hmm. so how did you get involved with and we'll get back to uh, meeting danny the director and um, Beast Beast, but how did you get involved in commercial work and get your foot in the door in that industry? It actually took a long time. Uh, I graduated in maybe 2012, and as soon as I came out of there, I kind of went, I did like a few small like PA jobs on reality TV shows, but what really kicked it off for me was I started working at a rental house as a prep tech, and then I kind of just got to know all the gear, got to know everybody coming into town renting, um, and from there, one day, some dude just came in and was looking for a DP and he was shooting like Amigos video. This was like back before they were big. And he just asked me if I wanted to shoot it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I, I shot with, I shot that video for him and then just kept doing more and more music videos because of that kind of thing. Through that, I was able to work with like bigger artists. And then the directors who were directing that, they kind of, because they're working with these bigger artists now, they kind of were able to start getting like commercial work geared around that. And so I was able to like transition from music videos into commercial work through working with like different rappers and stuff. Like I did um, an anti-smoking campaign, like targeted towards like urban youth, like really kind of had like a hip hop vibe to it. And like, so I kind of hopped in on that kind of stuff and then I've transitioned more into like uh, traditional commercial work from that. So you're working at a rental house, mm-hmm. getting to know the equipment. Uh, you graduated in two, 2012 from where? I went to Full Sail down in uh, Orlando. And, and what is that? Is that a, a film school or is that a college? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely, I would call it a trade school. You kind of go there, it's like two years and you get to learn all the gear and just kind of learn how to work on set and learn the different roles. And um, It's not a lot of theory. It's definitely very technical. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when you went to school there, uh, what was your vision about where you're, where you wanted to go professionally? I thought I wanted to be a director when I first went there. Uh, then I quickly realized I don't like explaining myself to people. I just don't like having to convince a lot of people why I want to do something. It's easier. I'm a lot better one-on-one, I think. And so, um, from there, I, we kind of got into like lighting after the first couple months in school. And I realized how much I like doing that. And it's kind of, it's really the, the DP and the director kind of like very bonded. I think it's very similar as far as like what you have to do on set, like um, when it comes to the image, I guess. Right. And I've realized that's the part I like about it. I like crafting an image and like lighting. And I don't like so much dealing with the actors and like trying to get them to get into a certain mood, you know, <laughs> that wasn't for me. So uh, I kind of just like switched into that and dove into it. So it sounds like you start off wanting to be a director, but you find out pretty quickly where you're most comfortable yeah. in, in that role or in the filmmaking industry. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let, let's go back to uh, Beast Beast. Mm-hmm. When you came on board and you met Danny and you knew he was an animator and had a lot of foresight and vision, Yeah. Um, what were his instructions to you in terms of how to shoot this project? Um, he So in the beginning, he was pretty straightforward about how he wanted to separate the three characters. They all kind of have a different visual style. Um, and that's kind of what helped me it really guided me in how, in like how to approach it. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but Adam's stuff is either locked off or it's just literally on sticks, pan and tilting around a slider. There's maybe two handheld scenes with him in the whole movie. And it's when he's with other characters, but it's like that kind of separates him from the other two. Krista is very much like low cameras, always moving. It's a bit tighter on her. And then Nito, because he's so like active and athletic, it's a bit wider, but also like low and always moving. And Danny kind of called like the skateboard angles, you know? Yeah. Just to kind of separate them all and like have their own energy and, and um, use the camera to kind of like make you feel how their personality is, I guess. So he was really upfront about that. And that's something we had talked about a lot. Yeah. You know, that's what I noticed about, about Nito's character. And we'll talk about what the movie premise is because I, some of the listeners may not have seen it by the time this comes out. Yeah. But Nito's character was incredibly kinetic. Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of those low shots give you a sense of just being right there in whatever movement he's in. And, yeah. And he's so athletic and uh, jumping around all the time and skateboarding. I, I felt like, and then you, you know, juxtapose that against, um, Adam, mm-hmm. the, the character Adam, who has this, um, I don't know, he, he, his personality is very rigid and he has an understanding of exactly what he wants and what he's trying to accomplish. He, there was also kind of a sadness yeah. to the, the, the footage of, of, of him, I think was the saddest where he's just longing to be seen and, yeah. and be heard. And somehow you captured that. I don't know how you did it, but it was pretty... That was all, that was something Danny was really, he was really trying to make sure that you don't, you don't hate him. You kind of just feel for him. So I'm glad you said that. It's he didn't, he he felt like it would be really easy to make that character look like a bad person. And he wanted to do his hardest to make sure that you didn't think that, like you could kind of sympathize with him and feel bad for him. Yeah. And it's a lot of just how you, it's how you light it and how you shoot it. Like for me, it would have been so easy to just make his stuff really like way moodier than it was just to kind of like force you to feel a certain way about him. But Danny was very, uh, very conscious about that. 
like not making things too moody and not always doing like a far side key on him, you know, let, let him have like a front light so you can kind of see his whole face. You're not like trying to hide him from the audience, you know? Yeah. You want them to like be able to connect with him. Yeah. Another thing I liked about Danny's approach to that character is uh, I think his parents, like if I were writing the screenplay, mm-hmm. I probably would have written his parents as Fox News, Patriots, Trump loving yeah. people. They weren't like that. They were very caring parents. They they loved their son. Mm-hmm. They're, I think they thought their son was probably too extreme in the direction that he was going. And I think that that type of nuance makes for a much more interesting film. Yeah, yeah, it's it makes him it's like a, he's a real person, you know. It's not like a stereotype of what right like a gun enthusiast would be. That's what Danny was really trying to show. Yeah. That these are like real people and they're not all like a, like a Fox News family, you know. So, let's um talk about the scenes. And first of all, before we we talk about the scenes of the movie, can you tell us what the movie is about? And who these characters are? Uh, I think the easiest way to describe it is that it's like a it's a coming of age story that's like a set in like a a perfect snapshot of time in the South. Like I would say, it's very modern. It's very much like right now. And there's a lot of um, I guess it's a lot of how social media and the news cycle kind of affects people's lives and how they kind of navigate through that. And the the premise of the movie, I, I wasn't certain in the first act if there is an act of the film, but the first, you know, 30 minutes, I really wasn't sure where it was going, but when you start to see the intersections mm-hmm. uh, of these, these uh, lives, the, the tension starts to build because you know, it's leaning toward. Yeah. You somewhere. can feel it's going somewhere. Right. Especially with the gun enthusiast. Yeah. It's like, you don't know where it's going at yeah, all. You really don't. So, I could tell in the audience, like while, while watching it, which was cool was like when people started feeling that feeling where they're like, uh, oh, yeah. They, can, they can kind of sense that everything is going to mix together in a way that they probably aren't going to like. So the the, uh, the three characters are incredibly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you when you're shooting the scenes at the party, and I, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but there's, there's this party scene that, let's just put it this way, things go terribly wrong yeah. <laughs> at this high school party. What was your approach to shooting that scene and how how did you embed yourself into what was happening in the scene? Um, the approach to that, which was approach to like a lot of the scenes we did was um, Danny really doesn't like, uh, he doesn't really like having stuff on the ground, like lights. He doesn't like having to relight and pull people out and like move stuff around. It's, um, he doesn't like wasting time, I guess. So for that and for a lot of the movie, what we really had to do was light for 360 almost. Like you have to light to be able to shoot anywhere. So in the kitchen, we had like something menaced armed out, like a big old gem ball, just kind of washing that down with like a tungsten light. And then all of the lights you see in the frame are actually lighting the scene too. We just got, we rented like, oh no, we actually got a bunch of DJ equipment from somebody at the school that we shot in. And we kind of just set it up practically within the scene. And I just bounced it off the ceiling and kind of controlled all the levels. So it looked right. Like I felt like it looked really good and you can see it in frame, which so... And it's like a practical source that would make sense to be there. So it kind of just worked out. Um, but there's maybe one source that we would use for close-ups and stuff to bring in. But other than that, you can kind of just be, you can, I can literally move the camera wherever I want and not see like a film light. And so you had a handheld camera, obviously. Yeah, we kind of built it out to be as small as possible. We made like um, a backpack rig kind of. 
everything on the body was stripped away and put into like a belt that you could wear. So the camera itself is like maybe, I, they can't see this, but <laughs> it's like maybe 12 inches long and like six inches wide. So it's like really tiny little thing you can move forever. And so you're, you're in this party scene and mm -hmm. then this fight breaks out. Were you ever hit or bumped into or in danger in any way? No, I was okay. Um, I operated a lot of the, the stuff before it kind of heated up. Um, Danny's himself an operator too, and he kind of, he knows what he wants. So he was, he was the one where, it, when it got a little gritty, he was doing all that. I don't know. I think he was fine though. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I was wondering if the actors would be fine because there yeah. was some pretty heavy duty um, oh, fight fine. scenes. That dude is so good. He's, um, I, I, I've never seen anyone, anyone that athletic and limber. Yeah, you know, were you, you? So you were there at the screening, right? At the Q and A where he did the handstand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was Alec Baldwin involved in any of the day to day shooting or the consulting work that you saw? Uh, I think him and Danny, I know, had a lot of conversations about the script and the characters before we started filming. But um, he sent his partner Casey Bader out just to kind of help us stay on track and do whatever production um, things we would need. And so how how did Alec Baldwin get involved and Casey? Uh, I think Casey ended up seeing uh, Krista at South By, and he really liked the short, and he brought it to Alec. Um, and they uh, they reached out to Danny, and Danny met up with them, and it kind of just worked out. They were Danny told him he already had the the feature script for Beast Beast done, and he was like actively working on it at the time. And so it was it all just kind of happened at once. And does that mean that Alec had a, a production company that was backing it at the time? I'm not quite sure the details of it, to be honest. That's like, uh, that's probably a Danny question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe he'll agree to talk to me after yeah. hearing this. So Beast Beast, was that the title of the, the script when you read it? Yeah. Yeah. And so did he get that from the acting, from uh, Shirley's acting lessons that he had already cast her and talked to her about that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, which I kind of find out, I found that out at the Q&A too. I didn't really know that. I thought it was just something he, because his brother is like really big into acting as well. And I think they all kind of came up in theater. So I thought it was just from his own experience too. But it's kind of cool that Shirley had a little hand in that. Yeah. Because I, I was watching, as I was watching the movie and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, where is the Beast Beast? are one of these kids the beast and then mm -hmm. there's another kid that's i was like <laughs> oh you thought work? it was like literal or something yeah i was yeah. like trying and then i i see the you know they're they're doing these acting mm -hmm. these theater exercises beast beast what is the, the the phrase beast beast ready to act ready to act yeah, yeah. and um but i i tell you this film was so impactful from the standpoint that you have three you know i think one of the important considerations for how a movie feels and and how you react to it or your expectations going in and when you have three kind of unknown actors that they're child actors basically or you know very young actors it helps with lowering or zeroing out your expectations going in and mm -hmm. I, that's what i love about sundance because i know nothing about this film other than the very brief you know ambiguous description that's in the the guide the sundance guide and then you have someone like Shirley, who is so charismatic on screen and just, you, you just instantly fall in love with this character, just yeah. like Alec was saying during the Q and A. And, um, and, and they're all charismatic in their own ways, but then this narrative unfolds. And I think it was brilliant the way Danny put that together. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. 
And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place, our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Thanks. And now back to the interview. When you finished the project, were you involved at all in the, in the editing process? Uh, I saw like a few cuts here and there, but um, most of the editing was taking place in LA and I live in Atlanta. Yeah. So I didn't get to see a lot, but I know they did a lot of like test screenings. And so like they would have people come in and watch a rough cut and give feedback and stuff. I never really got to sit in on one of those, but I did see quite a few cuts. And when you're thinking, when you're shooting, are you thinking about the editing process at all? Because I know you, you've done some editing. Um, I mean, I, I try to a bit, but to be honest, the way Danny edits is like something I've never seen before. So <laughs> I just let him, I let him tell me what to do. You know, I don't, there's so, it's so hard to keep track of what's happening in his head, the way he likes to shoot. It's like impossible to, to see how he's going to piece it together unless you're him Yeah, for some of the scenes at least. So you're just trying to get as much usable footage as possible. Yeah, for sure. So much of the, the um, Krista and Nito stuff was me just like lighting a space for Danny and then letting him go in there and, and operate. And we would do like, he would just like run a card out. He would keep shooting until the card's dead, you know, yeah. and just keep giving them different performance things or like moving the camera in a different way, him trying to like find it and in his head, like piece together what, what he wanted out of it. Cause right. there's a lot of stuff like moving from one character to another, like while they're talking and the camera's just like floating around and going between all this stuff. I'm like, there's no way I can put that together in my mind, how he's going to cut that, you know? So you're, you're, uh, you talked about a card running out. So this is all digital. Yeah. 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 We shot on, uh, uh the Alexa mini. So where do you think uh, Beast Beast is heading next? Is it looking for distribution? Yeah, I think they have somebody attached to it, kind of helping them out with that. I think that's definitely the end goal. Yeah. And is that something that you want to be involved with in the future? Is that part of the filmmaking process where, you know, after after the shoot, you are part of, you know, the team that's working on distribution? Or are you looking at making your mark in cinematography and staying in that lane? I think I definitely want to stay in my lane. They have, they hire a lot of really talented people who specialize in doing that kind of thing. And I don't think I would be any help, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm interested in. It's nice to see it get there, but that's not, that's not my area of expertise. So wh where do you see yourself in say five years? Uh, hopefully doing, um, episodics or second unit on some bigger things and maybe do some more of my own features. And what does second unit mean? Um, like being a second unit DP on, so I live in Atlanta and there's a lot of, um, a lot of large Marvel films there. And ideally in the future, I could kind of work my way in through second unit and work on some bigger films like that. Yeah. Why, where are so many films shooting in Atlanta and so much TV? Uh, their tax incentive, they have like a, I think it's like 40%. So you can, for 40% of your budget that you spend there, you get back. So it's like, it, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and there's a lot of space and land is cheap, I'm assuming, in the South right now. So Pinewood built like a huge studio out there. Um, and I think they were, they had a contract with Marvel for a few years, I think. And I think they might've just renewed it. So you're, you're looking to stay in Atlanta then? Yeah, I think so. It's like, a, there's a good, there's a high ceiling there. I can still kind of work my way up to. And I think there's not a lot of, competition at least as far as like la goes i think there's a lot of dps in la and in atlanta there's there's quite a few but it's not quite as cutthroat i see you've got some other projects and quite a few other projects that are in your um, imdb filmography mm -hmm. uh, are there any that are current uh, or future projects that you're about to work on 
No, uh, what you're probably seeing is I did a feature rollers last year that's still in post, and then I did another one called Spaghetti Junction over the summer. I'm not sure if that one's up on there. Most of those are old things. I need to go back through and edit some of those. Some of those are like really old, terrible shorts from like school. <laughs> I need to pull out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're, do you consider yourself to be a freelancer at this point? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. So you have this, this website with your body of work yeah. and you've made these connections in the commercial industry and those, those connections, are they continuing to provide work so you can pay the bills and yeah, 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 for sure. I have an agent too, but, um, I mean, I think all DPs are freelance unless you work for a company, you know? Yeah. Have you ever thought about coming to LA? Uh, when I was like really young. Yeah. I don't think I would do it now. I'm kind of pretty settled in, in Atlanta. Do you have a family there? Uh, I live with my girlfriend and two cats. So, oh. yeah, I guess I consider it a family. Yeah, that's a family. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's talk about the skill set that if someone wants to get into cin cinematography and they're in high school, say, or junior high. Yeah. And they're really interested in uh, the visual aspects of, of filmmaking. What type of skill sets would you recommend that they start working on? Uh, I would definitely say to, I mean, lighting is a huge thing, but a lot of it is really personal skills i think there's a way you need to know how to talk to other people and talk to directors and and uh, i think it's really easy to try to push what you want style wise but i think what's more important that i'm finding in narrative is it's not really about how i think i want to shoot it it's about the director's vision and how you help him get to that you know so i think being able to to be open and collaborate with other people is probably really important it, it also sounds like you need a degree of humility and uh, and to be humble yeah, about definitely. the process and, and collaborative as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the technical skills you talked about lighting, uh, but I, I, I'm kind of a, a, a dummy when it comes to tech. I have a, a camera that is way too much camera for me. I have a Sony a nine. Yeah. Uh, and I don't still don't know how to use it. How would someone in high school who wants to get into film start learning about photography and I know there's a lot of YouTube videos out there, but, and you went to, it sounds like you went to kind of a, a film school for, for cinematography. Yeah. To learn um, the cameras and lighting and glasses. What do you recommend for, for high school students uh, beyond the interpersonal skills mm -hmm. in terms of how to build up that skill set? Uh, I mean, it's a lot of just going out and doing it. You're going to, you're going to figure out a lot just by going out and shooting things. Even if it's just stills, you don't have to shoot video. You'll figure out a lot about what you like and kind of where you like to put the camera. And then uh, what helped me out a lot was watching, just watching movies. You watch movies and you find scenes you really like and you pull stills from that and you stare at them for a while and you ask yourself, why do I like this? What are they doing that makes me like this? And you try to break that down and that can kind of help teach you how to, how to either recreate it or like find your own style from that. And there's a lot of... Um, like anything from the Criterion Collection will have really good behind the scenes. And so you can go and watch that and like see, find that scene that you like and see if you can see kind of like how they lit it and like where they're putting the camera just to help you break down the things you like, you know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have to be kind of a film buff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you want Definitely. to be successful. And the movies that were influential for you? Uh, anything with David Fincher. I love the game. That's like one of my favorite movies. I can watch it like all the time. Cronenberg, uh, I'm a big fan of. His son actually has a film here. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try to see tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it? Uh, I forget what it's called, to be honest. <laughs> okay. I'll look it up. In the yeah. Directory. Brandon Cronenberg, though. He has a film here. Okay. Uh, at least I, I want to say his name is Brandon. David Lynch, I was a big fan of for a while. Anything with Paul Thomas Anderson, too. Yeah. Oh, Paul Th Thomas Anderson. Yeah. That's just next level. 
I think I yeah. watched Magnolia in like high school and I was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I, I watched it. I watched it probably three or four times in a year. Yeah. And after it came out on DVD and it's so distinctive. I love when you watch a movie and you're, you can guess who the director is or you can guess who the yeah, cinematographer you can feel their style. is. Yeah, the iconic shot that I think about from a cinematography standpoint is uh, in Goodfellas, mm -hmm. uh, which which is the opening scene where I think it's a single shot. And also I think Birdman has a similar scene where it's one shot handheld and they're walking through a kitchen and hallways and it's, yeah. it's like how do they transition from room to room without changing cameras, without hitting stop, you know. Have you thought about that type of um, approach to film with your own work? And when you look at other cinematographers work and other directors work and how technically to execute those types of shots? Yeah, for sure. Like doing long, like wonders kind of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's not crazy hard. The hardest part about it is getting the blocking right and kind of coordinating with all of these people that you have to walk past and like making sure they're hitting things. Other than that, you just like light from above or light with practicals and and um, go from there. But yeah, the blocking is like the biggest part of why that works, I think. And what is blocking? Blocking is, uh, I guess the easiest way to say it is like the relationship between people and camera and where you put them and which direction they're moving to. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, it's a big part of a uh, camera movement, I'd say. And directing. Directing and blocking, I think, is like their biggest job in my mind. Working with the actors and like blocking them out because that's like so much of the story. So tell us what it was like when you found out that you were going to Sundance? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I was definitely really excited, but I don't remember what I was doing. I, Danny always calls me at like 2 a.m. because I live in Atlanta and he lives in L.A. And I think he's just always up late. And I don't think he ever realizes like that it's super late for me. Yeah. And I, so I think he just called me really late and I was like, whoa, cool. <laughs> and then probably went back to sleep. I don't remember. Yeah. I do remember being really excited though. Yeah, and then and were you part of the the red carpet event? Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was with um, the one of the sound designers and both of the editors. That's nice that they included yeah. everybody like that. Yeah, it was awesome. So many people like poured a lot of their uh, their energy into this, and Danny was has been really great about like giving everybody a bit of shine, you know. Yeah, and any other film festivals scheduled this year? Uh, there's two in talks. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it though, but okay. yeah, some, yeah. So it's potentially good. some really cool ones. Yeah. You'll be on the road again. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm going to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just expensive to keep going out, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean the hotel and the yeah. airfare and all yeah, of that. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you have on the agenda next for 2020? Uh, nothing lined up yet, to be honest. It's been a bit slow this year. I have a feature doc I'm working on with a buddy, but it's kind of, it's like a passion project thing that me and him have just been developing. But, um, that, that'll be on the back burner for sure this year. Just kind of slowly chipping away at it. Anything you can talk about with your feature doc? Yeah. I mean, it kind of started out, um, it started out as like a really short doc about the relationship between the new Mercedes Benz dome and Vine City, which is the neighborhood right across from it and kind of how they've been affected by it. Cause they, um, the Georgia dome was already right there. And like, they've kind of went through this process already of like, what it does it mean to have a stadium like right next to your neighborhood. And then now they tore that down and have like rebuilt another bigger one. And it's like, what has changed since the first one? What did they learn about the impact of doing that on this neighborhood? Have they like changed anything? Have they helped these people? So it's kind of like started off exploring that relationship. And now it's kind of expanding into gentrification as a whole in Vine City. Where do you see documentaries going from here? Because it, to me, it seems like documentaries have really 
taken a prominent position in terms of all of the content that's available out there and the quality of the content. Mm -hmm. When I'm looking at my Netflix queue, I would say at least a third of those movies are documentaries. Yeah. And 10 years ago, I don't think that there was nearly the number of documentaries that there are today to choose from, which is kind of overwhelming. Uh, but it's nice because I think that's, I love learning something and being brought into a real story yeah, like that. I'm the same way. Yeah. And, and is that something that you're drawn to just naturally, just that type of storytelling? Yeah, I think so. I did a lot of, after I kind of did the whole music video stint and started doing commercials, I did a lot of branded short docs too. And it's it's always like really nice to to meet a real person that does something like different than you. And you're able to like experience a different part of life, like through hanging out with these people. And it kind of just, I don't know, it keeps you, keeps you growing as a human, I guess. And I guess that's what I like about it. Another thing I appreciate about documentary filmmaking from what I've learned so far is that the people who are making these movies, unless they are backed by HBO or Showtime right from the beginning, mm -hmm. they are sticking their neck out there financially. Oh yeah, and it's usually a long process too. Like I wouldn't doubt it if most of these like are over the course of a few years, you know, just slowly going out every couple of months and yeah. catching back up. And really the only thing that can drive that type of filmmaking is passion. Yeah. So that is going to translate into the end product. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. And so you're involved in that. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, where can people find you on social media and uh, the internet? Uh, you already said my site. It's just my name, Christian Zuniga. Um, and then my Instagram is the same thing. It's just my name too. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you on there much? Uh, I try to be less these days, but I still kind of get forced back into it. But yeah, I'll post things every couple of months or so. Yeah, that's funny. I, I, I'm hearing a lot of that these days is that people are trying to pull yeah. themselves away from social media. It's not good for your mental health, man. It's bad. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think the same, I think Facebook is like the worst of it. Facebook, I, I totally agree. And I feel like it's a generational thing. I think Facebook now is not like college kids anymore. It's like the generation above me. Like my parents, my dad is always on Facebook. I'm like, <laughs> dude, what do you get off? <laughs> well, I think old people need a place to put their rage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't do any of that, thankfully, but it's just like the, I know he's like scrolling through and probably seeing a lot of things that are just like fake or like not good for you to see, just make you feel a certain way about, yeah. the world. you know, always well, seeing something depressing. It's like, you shouldn't be looking at that all day. It's toxic. Yeah. Yeah. And Instagram's not so toxic, but in that way, in terms of the, the rage or, yeah. you know, it, but I think it makes you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. It's in a different way. It's, right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, why, what? They're traveling to that place. How do they afford? Wow. They look good. Yeah. You know, I don't look that good. <laughs> sort of having those uh, dysfunctional feelings. These days, like if I'm seeing things that like make me feel like that, I'll literally just like unfollow somebody. Not because I don't like them and I don't like their work, but it's like, I don't want to feel that way. So I'm sorry. I'm just going to take you away. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like seeing gear porn. I don't like seeing stuff on set, really. I honestly wish I could just post pictures of like me hanging out with my cat, but I probably wouldn't get any work if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I forgot to ask you about the uh, the Coachella. I mean, you have so many commercials on your your website that yeah. you've done. The Coachella commercial was was really long form that was really a doc in my mind. I yeah. mean, it kind of is a, if you think about it, it's like a branded doc that is a large commercial for Coachella, but it's definitely rooted in documentary. 
And and how did you get that gig? Uh, I knew uh, this guy out of Atlanta named John Marizaldi. I've worked with a bunch, and um, he moved to LA and uh, joined this company called Whitelist, like a production company. And uh, through that, I met this guy Pasquale, who's one of the directors on there. And um, we had worked together like a handful of times, and he just called me up for that job and brought me out. It was a lot of fun. And and I one of my observations about that project the Coachella film or short doc is that you were really embedded with the people that were part of Coachella. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point is kind of experiencing the festival through the the people who go there. Right. Yeah. And so you're not, I mean, I, I think the, the old school way of promoting something like that would be to hire supermodels and, you know, shoot it from the standpoint of, you know, having the most beautiful people. Yeah, um, I think you're right. You, you know, make it like really sexy. Yeah. yeah. And and here you are, not that the people in there weren't attractive, but you're you're actually on the ground, boots on the ground, mm-hmm. interviewing people. Not interviewing, but just shoot them in their in their natural environment, enjoying the, the festival. Yeah. And you've got these these drone shots and that kind of give you the broad perspective, the bird's eye view. Very effective storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was all really fun and Pasquale. That there's two directors on that. Uh, there's actually a bunch more of like under. There's like so many different crews going out and getting stuff, but they're like the two lead directors, and that's kind of just that was their vision from the start. I think is to kind of paint this picture of the festival through all these different people and different experiences, and like the I forget what they call it, but that the voice that comes over the speakers like called something, and like that was like a big driving force of the doc too. I yeah. think they call it like the voice of God or something. I don't know. That like announcer guy you hear in the piece. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time. And as always, go find your dream path.